0: Today, on Ag News Daily.
1: definitely more supply And all these things are coming into play as well.
0: Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Super Bowl. Day late here. Super Bowl Sunday was yesterday. My name is Delaney Howell. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Mike Pierce. And Mike, did you watch the Super Bowl yesterday?
2: You know, you know how big of a sports fan I am. <laughs> Not like me to miss a That's major true, sporting yeah. event. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I actually I just followed along on Twitter. But it doesn't sound like I missed very much, Delaney.
0: No, it really wasn't a super exciting game. The food was more exciting to me this year's Super Bowl than uh, anything else.
2: So you did watch the game?
0: I did. I I you- tried to watch it at least. It was it was a really boring game. I think it was the lowest scoring Super Bowl in the history of Super Bowls.
2: Yes, it was. I learned that by following along on Twitter. Yeah. It was the second lowest scoring first half in a Super Bowl in history. Uh,
0: yeah, that's, uh, that pretty much sums it up right there, how boring it was. Yeah.
2: Did you watch all of the commercials?
0: Yes, there was one co- commercial in particular that was controversial. Well,
2: was controversial in the ag sector, yes. for sure. I was just going to ask you about that. So you saw the Bud Light commercial.
0: Yes, so the Bud Light commercial, which is like the dilly-dilly commercials, right, that everybody's probably seen on TV or social media or whatever. Um, they kind of showed this medieval caravan with a huge barrel of corn syrup to castles. They were taking this big caravan of corn syrup um to castles owned by Miller and Coors Light and so the National Corn Growers Association was pretty mad and I saw a couple of statements made by the Iowa Corn Growers Association as well as the National Association saying that they were disappointed in Bud Light and thanked Miller Light and Coors Light for supporting the industry.
2: Yeah, for those of you that didn't see the ad, basically Bud Light was saying, well, we don't use corn syrup. Mm -hmm. We don't need this corn syrup here in our castle. We'll take it to the Miller's Light and Coors Light castles. And, uh, yeah, I would say that has uh, certainly bothered a, a number of corn growers. And, you know, it's just one of those frustrating things where some marketing guru said, hey, what do you guys do that's different than Coors Light, Miller Light? Somebody at Bud Light was like, well, well you know, use corn syrup. Like, yeah, there we go. Let's make an ad about the whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, using, a, I don't know, product differentiation to, to sell beer, I suppose. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the reason you drink Bud Light is so you can drink 15 of them. You know, <laughs> it's not like you're, right. it's not a gourmet beverage, right? right?
0: Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. It's got a lot of, I mean, a lot of ag people I know drink Bush Light, Bud Light, etc.
2: Especially right. in and Iowa. I, I think Bushlight still has corn syrup in it, I believe.
0: Mm. Just Bud Light that doesn't.
2: Right. Made with okay. rice.
0: Mm. Oh, okay.
2: So it's a good uh, rice growers can't support Bud Light. There we go. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you saw the commercial. I saw... I've seen it since, but, of course, right. I didn't see it during the game. But, yeah, that uh, certainly stirred up a, a little bit of a, a folder all there we have with uh, yes. with Bud Light. But, you know, I saw Jared McDaniel make a comment. He was like, hey, they treated that barrel of corn syrup with the utmost respect, and they drug it through, you know, storms and across, you know, past dragons and all sorts of stuff. So he goes, really? It's a testament to the the value of corn syrup. Sure. So that's how you want
0: to spin that. Good marketing, Jared. Yeah.
2: yeah, I thought that was a neat way to look at it. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's all we have for sports ball news, <laughs> Delaney. What do you have in the world of agriculture?
0: Well, you know, it's another slow kind of start to the Monday here on the uh, news wire chain. But the USDA is confirming today for the first time since the Chinese US meetings, a sale of six hundred and twelve thousand metric tons of US soybeans for the two thousand eighteen marketing year. Eighteen nineteen marketing year I should say. And it's the first sale since Chinese Vice Premier Liu pledged last week that the country would buy another five million tons as a sign of good faith.
2: Well yeah, another four point four million metric tons and I guess they'll have lived up to their promise.
0: Yep, I guess so
2: now, Delaney, you, of course, were down at the NCBA mm-hmm. annual meeting in New Orleans last week. How was uh, Secretary Sonny Perdue's talk?
0: Well, you can watch it on the Facebook, on <laughs> NCBA's Facebook, because they did a Facebook Live, and I believe it's still there. To be quite honest with you, I did not get out of bed to go to it.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. It was one of those early morning yep. type presentations. Yep. Yep. Which really, Secretary Purdue ought to have known better to go to a Cattlemen's event and talk early in the morning. That was probably a light crowd.
0: I mean, Bourbon Street kind of uh, beat me up one night. I'll just leave it at that.
2: You were consuming some ethanol.
0: Yes, I was.
2: There you go, helping, uh, helping bring down those corn ending stocks. Well, I brought it up because um, I, I did watch parts of it on Facebook. I, it is still up there on the I think it's Secretary Sonny's Facebook page or the USDA page.
0: And NCBA's Um, page, too.
2: Oh, and NCBA's. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, he did say that uh, he was heartened by the spirit of the Chinese-U.S. trade talks. But he did say, and this is kind of the caveat, trade rules are, quote, never done until it's really done. And even then, it's not really done until there are enforcement mechanisms, Mm -hmm. end quote, which is seemed to me a, a pretty effective Hedging of his bets when it comes to uh, these ongoing trade disputes with China.
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, we know that that's just going to continue. I think Secretary Perdue did, did make a lot of mention to um, to trade during his conversation or his address to NCBA members last week. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He said it was trade, trade, more trade. Is what he was yep. there to talk about.
0: Yep. It. Yep. Absolutely. Well, following up a little bit here on the uh, 612,000 metric tons, we also know, according to market analysts, we don't have the USDA confirmation yet that China has already purchased between two and two and a half million tons of soybeans out of the five million, and that was according to um, president of the Chicago-based ag resources company.
2: Oh, really? So they're over half done with this? I think so.
0: I believe so, with this promise now.
2: Oh, but the my. USDA well, to...
0: has not confirmed that that sale.
2: Sure. Sure. And we will get all of those updates by uh, February 22nd when they finish uh-huh. updating their export reports. Right. Okay. Well, they need to step in and buy another $5 million, really.
0: Yeah, that'd be pretty nice, huh?
2: Yeah, it would certainly be a step in the right direction.
0: It certainly would. Uh,
2: while we're talking about China, of course, uh, you've made mention quite a bit, Delaney Howell, of the outbreak of African swine fever that has swept across that country. And that has prompted folks on this side of the Pacific to think a little more strongly about how they get their feed. And so the American Feed Industry Association has come together, and they have written up a new series of uh, biosecurity um mitigation things, the biosecurity guidelines, I guess is is the way to talk about it. And here's what I thought was interesting. They wrote these initially following 9-11. That was when mm. biosecurity first became a thing. But it wasn't until this update that they actually defined what a biosecure facility was. And so what they're finding is that a lot of people, a lot of feed purchasers are demanding their feed come from a biosecure facility. Now there is a, a definition for that term. And uh, for those of you who are interested, if you are a swine producer, you want to make sure you're up to date, you can uh, head to their website at afia.org and search for the biosecurity guidelines right there, kind of right off the main page. It'll turn and give you the updated list so hopefully you can keep African swine fever away from your herd and we can keep it off our shores for as long as possible.
0: Well, Mike, what did the uh, official biosecurity definition come out to be? Can you give us a synopsis of it?
2: Well, it's about 21 pages long. Ah, okay. <laughs> yes. So I don't want to give a synopsis. It's one of those where if you're in the industry, mm-hmm. it is good reading. It is definitely worth checking out and uh, you know, putting some or all of these practices into place on your farm. If you're not in the industry, it is very, very dull and boring, and I don't want to bore all of our non-pork-producing listeners.
0: All right, that's fair enough. I guess I'll let you have this pass.
2: Yeah, yeah, you, just this one time.
0: <laughs> just this one time. <laughs> well, we've got a couple of big meetings coming up later this month. Well, actually, a couple of big dates Later this month, I want to point out. The first is this Friday, we're going to officially see the WASD report come out. Usually, the February WASD is a snoozer, so they're really expecting the January WASD report to be the thing that leads the markets. Another thing that could lead the markets later this month are the meetings between US and China, which we are supposed to get an official date sometime this week from the Trump administration, as well as the continued meetings here between. North Korea and the U.S. So Trump is planning to meet with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in late February, and I think Secretary Perdue is making it sound like he's also going to be going on that North Korean trip and said on his way back he might, might just stop and talk to President Xi as well. The last meeting I want to make note of here that could have some impact on markets and other Uh, trade-related factors is the USDA's annual Agricultural Outlook Forum, which the USDA has said they're going to go ahead and have. February 21st and 22nd, I believe, are the dates there. But Canada and Mexico are sending their top agricultural officials to speak at this year's ag outlook and make some comments about where the uh, renegotiated USMCA agreement is at and uh, where will be some major focuses and and changes in that agreement.
2: Well, that will be a good discussion. I'm glad they're going to go ahead and have that for us.
0: Yes, I think that'll be good. There'll be a lot of good information that comes out.
2: Yes, so we will be paying close attention to that, folks. Stay tuned to the Ag News Daily Podcast and we'll bring you those updates without you having to travel to D.C., which is always nice. There you go. Well, I've got some news actually out of Washington, D.C. from the Federal Reserve. The uh, They released their quarterly survey of senior loan officers talking to the banking industry. And what they found was that demand for loans has weakened among U.S. businesses and households in the last three months of 2018. What this means is that we could be seeing the initial starts to a slowdown in the economy. It's a not a hard and fast this is just a survey it's not built on hard data it's just what lenders are seeing in their environment but it is cause for a little bit of concern we're also seeing this happen while banks are tightening lending standards which i'm sure uh, a lot of our listeners have have dealt with i know i've seen uh, a little bit tighter standards mm-hmm. coming from my local bank here recently and uh yeah, this is this is one of the things we need to keep an eye on. It's uh should help the Fed continue to keep interest rates low, but you know, we need to keep people eating beef, eating pork, eating chicken, driving demand for feed, and if the economy slows down that would throw a wrench into that.
0: Yes, it definitely would. Well speaking of Washington DC, I have one other quick update here. One of the other things Secretary Purdue mentioned during last week's Cattlemen's Convention was that the Trump administration is very close to issuing a memorandum of understanding that will spell out the specifics of USDA and FDA's responsibilities for regulating cell-cultured meat. So he reiterated to cattle producers last week that the plan is going to put USDA in charge of regulating the production process, and FDA will be responsible for the development of the cells.
2: Interesting. Okay, I'm still, where's the dividing line, I wonder? Like Mm. once they come out of the Petri dish, then does it get handed over to USDA, I wonder?
0: I guess, I don't know. I think that that memorandum of understanding will hopefully kind of just spell things out in black and white. But, you know, it's it's coming from D.C., so are things really ever black and white? Eh. Well, they
2: are, and then they go to court. Right. Then they get mucked. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, let's see. Speaking of mucky, we mucked about a little bit in the trade today. Delaney, what do you say? Should we jump in and look at the markets before today's hashtag Market Monday conversation with Steve Freed? Let's do
0: it, Mike. All
2: right. Well, our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, give them a holler. Get help managing your marketing risk by working with their talented strategists. You can give them a call at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com we mucked around but ultimately finished in the green in the grain markets today with march corn up a penny at 379 and a quarter the may contract up half a cent at 387 and a half soybeans pulled back off their highs for the day and the march contract settled three quarters of a cent higher at 918 and a half the may up a penny at 932 and a half in chicago wheat the march contract up one and a half cents at five twenty five and three quarters. The May also up one and a half to finish at five twenty nine and three quarters. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got green all down the screen today in protein. February live cattle up twenty-seven and a half cents at one twenty-five seventy-two fifty. The April up seventy-two and a half to close at one twenty-seven even. In feeder cattle, the March contract up a dollar seventy at one forty-four twenty-two fifty. The April up a half to close at $145.82.50. Looking at Lean Hogs, the February contract up a dollar oh two and a half at 573750. The April just off limit up closed the day up $2.92.5 cents at $63.05. Let's see if any of that strength carried in the market. Looking at class three milk, the February contract dropped nine cents on the day at $13.94 with the March down 15 to close at $14.24. For today's Hashtag Market Monday discussion, we are throwing it back to a conversation we had on Friday. Intern Madison Honkamp and I got to sit down and discuss things with Steve Freed from ADM Investor Services.
0: Today we have with us Steve Freed from ADM Investor Services, and he is the Vice President of Green Research. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? Doing
1: really great. How are you?
0: I'm good. Okay. So just to kick it off, um, can you explain to us what ADM investor services do for the ag industry?
1: Okay. Um we've been around um about fifty years and we started with our parent company, Archer Daniel Midland, and we're the brokerage arm of that. So we clear trades for customers that range from brokers who have farm customers to commercial handlers who have commercial grain customers uh, to what we call the house ADM trade. And we also, our, our area that's kind of growing the most is, is these trading machines, these funds, managed funds. And uh, so um, when I started uh, 28 years ago, we had about a hundred million dollars worth of customer funds. Now we have $7 billion of, of customer funds that we hold every night.
2: And, Steve, what brings you to Iowa on this bitterly cold
1: day? Um, We have a customer here, um, Heartland Co-op, that uh, yesterday we had a meeting um, in Tama and had some farmers there, and then we were having farmers here. So it's my job to go through some slides and try to tell them where the market is and where the market's going.
0: So where do you think the market will be in roughly five years or so?
1: Well... um, let's start for you know the next five months then we'll kind of expand on it but um ever since uh, you know 2018 was an interesting year in that the grain prices were rallying early because of the droughts in argentina and then we had droughts in in brazil and then in may the united states put tariffs on canada mexico and, and china and prices went straight down and so when they started uh, having meetings uh, in November um, in Argentina to try to come up with a, a deal, markets bottom. Now, if you look at the stock market, crude oil, corn, beans, copper, all of them are trading in the same pattern. And so they're just trading one fundamental, and that is what's going to happen in the trade war. So the last two days, the United States and China have had talks in Washington, and after the talks, they came out and said, you know, we don't have a deal because of intellectual properties. It's hard to come up with a resolution of that, plus how you're going to enforce it if China breaks the rules. And then they said, the premier said, we will buy 5 million more tons of U.S. soybeans uh, in addition to the 5 million tons we've already bought. We understand there's also a shopping list that they might buy 8 million tons of corn and, and 5 million tons of wheat. So it seems like we have... The situation where we don't have the intellectual properties resolved by the end of February, the president's going to put 25% tariff on all the $200 billion that is not a tariff and keep the tariffs there. But there might be a separate grain deal. Um, Early on, the president of China said he was going to buy a trillion dollars worth of American goods over the next six years to eliminate the $325 billion deficit. But also, he said, we'll buy $30 billion worth of ag goods, 19, uh, 2017, they, they bought a record 19.7 billion. So you can see that, and most of that was soybeans. So you see they're going to have to expand the ag products annually that they're going to buy if they're going to make a deal.
2: Steve, you talked about the markets bottoming, bottoming kind of in tandem there. Now we've seen a, a little bit of a rebound in the stock market. We're seeing commodities bounce a little bit today on the news of the five million dollar, uh, or five, 5 million metric ton soybean purchase. Where do you stand? Where do you think the money is flowing? Are we going to pull money out of the stock market back into commodities broadly with all of the turmoil in Venezuela and gold going to an eight-month high?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of moving parts. I think that, um, first of all, it's it's my thought that we're changing the way we're doing grain price discovery in that now fundamentals that you and I are used to, the supply and demand, are only one-third of our price discovery. So you look at the record global soybean stocks, we should be trading below $8. But here we are at $9. So we're trading something else. And if you look at wheat stocks, we lost 30 million tons of world crop last year and we still are lounging around yearly lows. And we should be a dollar higher. So the other third is what we call sentiment and that is trading the headlines. So what is the headline of the day that we're trading? And number one is is the um, trade war, but also we're looking at the Fed action. Um, some people say that raising a quarter percent in December was the biggest mistake the Fed has ever made. And people are now looking at the slowdown in the world economy, and there's like a 25% chance that the U.S. will be in a recession in 2020. And so we look at the energy complex, and there's, there's definitely more supply than there is demand. And so all these things are coming into play as money flow. The final thing is money flow. How does the funds and the algorithm machines are trading ninety percent of our day trade in grains and the stock market? So all they're trading is headlines. And so what headline is today moving the money? And in the grains, they have the funds have zero positions. They're long corn and short, and everything else, and so they have the smallest net position in grains in like ten years. And so they are waiting for some kind of news on the deal to put a position on it. The problem is, when we start talking about five, ten years from now, there's three things going on. Number one, yields in the United States are growing faster than demand. Number two, the competition for U.S. exports out of the Black Sea and South America is growing every year, and we're losing export share. And finally, number three is that if we continue to see yields go up and competition go go down for our exports, we need about 20 million acres less planted in this country of all crops than we are planting today. So how do we do that? Well, in the fringe areas, you got to get the prices down. So the basis is going to stay weak to try and encourage farmers not to plant as many acres. So, I mean, it's, it's not a very bright picture because you have to figure out what farmer is going to survive and what farmer is not going to survive so I mean 2012 when we had these record high prices that just encouraged all these countries to increase production like in the case of Russia they're producing 80 million tons of wheat 17% of their GDP is agriculture they're throwing money into infrastructure they want to produce 100 million tons of wheat well if they did that the United States wouldn't have to export any wheat at all and, and so there's still 100 million acres in Brazil not planted yet and they could plant that and China's spending money for their infrastructure so they can buy more beans from them. And the last thing that we're dealing with is the African swine fever in China. Let's just say they have 400 million hogs. Well, we have 300 million people. They're gonna lose potentially 10% of those hogs to this disease. So that means less demand for beans, less demand for feed. We had one of our people fly to China and when he got on the plane, the stewardess said, eat your pork now because you can't eat pork in China. Hmm. Well, it can't be transmitted to human beings, but you just have that mentality. So the demand for pork in their diet is declining and it's being replaced by fish and beef and things like that. So if I'm a farmer, I've got a 30-day window in which this trade dealer maybe can rally beans another 40 cents, corn maybe another 15 cents, and then, assuming normal weather, they should take that chance to sell their cash because this is probably the only chance they will on an upmarket because in 2019, if everything goes well, we'll still have too much supply. Mm-hmm. And the guess is that November beans will be trading below $8 at, at harvest. Corn will be trading at 320 at harvest time, assuming normal weather.
0: And then, so what factors have led to the current shrinking world corn carryout?
1: I think there's three factors. I mean, if we go back in the last 20 years, every year the global demand for corn is going up if you take China out of the picture. And so when you get to this point, middle class income going up, their diets change, and they have more money to spend on protein, which definition is beef. When you look in the United States, last three years we find bottom up per capita consumption of beef consumption because the economy has gotten better. So instead of eating this, you've improved your diet Because you've got a job, you've got a good-paying job, you've got benefits, you're working, and and so you spend more on on feed. We also, in 2005, introduced ethanol. And that's one of the big things of the China trade is we're hoping that if they do put ethanol in 10% of their blend, they'll come and buy us. Now, we produce 16.5 billion gallons of ethanol. We're hoping that they buy a billion gallons from us annually. And so that would be a big deal for the ethanol market, which right now the margins are negative. So I think that the world is getting richer, the world is getting healthier, and the world is eating more protein. And the first start of protein is feed. Steve,
2: to build on that a little bit, you talk about the growing wealth around the world. We've seen phenomenal exports, protein exports from the U.S. this year. Beef has been exceptional, if not quite a record. Pork has been fairly strong, especially given the troubles in China. As you look ahead through the end of 2019
1: and then perhaps on into the future, is this a trend that's sustainable? I don't think it is. I think the main reason that we had the increase in corn exports uh, this past year was because of the Brazil drought. And so on one hand, you're going to see a continued increase in global demand, but I think on the other hand, starting in, let's say, May, when the Brazilians are harvesting, they um, will take some of that export share away. And to this point, Brazil has not had a perfect weather year. Let's say 30% has been dry. The problem is that the weather's changing, and the front that was to the south causing too much rain in Argentina is starting to move north. And so the most of the corn that Brazil grows is called a saphena crop, a second crop. It's after the bean harvest. And so they should be able to plant that crop in ideal conditions. And so you know, we're not going to have the same potential problem that we had last year. So it's going to be difficult for our export demand to keep up if Brazil and Ukraine are competitive.
0: So then what price targets should growers have in mind?
1: I think that, you know, technology is bringing a lot to farmers in that you get the software where you can put all your expenses in there and you can put your average yield in there and all of a sudden you get a price on which you break even. And so for a farmer that owns his own land, owns his own machinery, you know, we might be above that price, especially if he has 200 plus bushel corn and 80 bushel beans. But if you have debt, if you're paying for rent, if you don't get those yields, we're probably below that price. So as I said earlier, you've got this 30-day window in which the market could rally. So you have to have a plan. And let's say farmers right now sold half their corn and half their beans. Um, Some people think the bean number might be a little bit below that. Normally, they've got like 60% sold by now. And so in the last 29 years, 80% of the time, the December corn and November bean contracts have made their high before the 1st of July. So what you're betting on if you don't sell or don't have a plan before July 1st, is that 20%, which is in the minority, and it's caused by bad weather. And so you need to pick a spot. Um, let's say the best we can do is $0.40 cents higher in beans, $0.15 cents higher in corn. If that's a good price, then you should you should sell at that price level and, and be somewhat aggressive. And then if down the road it looks like there's going to be very widespread drought. You can replace it with call options. Call volatility is record low. And so you're going to be able to get a cheap premium call that will protect you in a drought down the road. Now, for some guys that have a tight um, situation, financial situation, they may not be able to spend $0.10 for a call. So then you're going to have to get kind of creative and, and work with a broker or work with a grain company to see how you can pull that out. You can go to a grain company and sell your grain, and they'll give you a call as part of the deal and just subtract you from your cash price. So you have to be kind of creative in a market that probably 80% of the time is going to go down from here for the rest of the year.
2: Well, Steve, the crowd is building in here at the Alumni Hall, so we better let you go. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Have a good year. Well, Delaney,
2: there we got it. Looking ahead, looking at the big picture stuff there with Steve.
0: Yeah, that's exciting, too, for Madison. That was her first real interview for Agnews Daily, and I think she did a great job.
2: She did a great job, and she's going to get the chance to do a lot more of them, because listeners, I will be gone for a little bit, heading into an alcohol treatment program starting on Wednesday, so you'll be hearing from Delaney and Madison.
0: Yes, that's right. We're just happy that uh, you're going to get that help you need, and we're going to keep chugging along on the podcast.
2: That's right. Keep plugging along. And if listeners want to get caught up on past episodes, Delaney, where should they go to do that?
0: Absolutely, Mike. They can head to globalagnetwork.com. That's our new home there, Ag News Daily. To search for it there under the podcast list. Or you can listen to any of our past episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. I think maybe there's a couple other ones, but those are the major ones. Mike, if people want to interact with us on social media, where should they head?
2: They should head right now, type into your Twitter and or Facebook search bar, Ag News Daily. We will pop up. You can interact, you can shout, you can share whatever you want to do. We are there on both those platforms, and we want to hear from you. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go?
0: Let's let them go.